0: A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came down and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, And they immediately sprung up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Continuing from verse
1: 10. In one case, a hundredfold; in another, sixty; and in another, thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise
2: Let me pray uh, before we look into God's Word. Our Father, how we come before you, um, we are dependent on uh, on Your Holy Spirit uh, uh, illuminating. Um, your word to us. So we ask that you would send your spirit. You ask that, we ask that you'd give us wisdom. Uh, would uh, you uh, uh, allow us to uh, confront uh, the hard things that, uh, that your word brings up before us, and uh, would you lead us uh, into your truth? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, we are in... Uh, The book of Matthew this morning, and you can turn uh, in your service sheets to the Bible readings on pages seven and eight. It's actually a one long section that we have split in two, and these readings are from the story of Jesus' life as recorded by one of his followers named Matthew. As we look at this passage, I want to focus on a question that I think this passage draws us into. The question is, How does hardness of heart prevent us from experiencing an abundant life? Or put another way, how does our inner disposition towards God and towards Jesus prevent us from experiencing or enable us to experience a full life, the good life? Now maybe those things do not go together in your head, following Jesus and living the good life and those that are sometimes set against each other. Or maybe that just hasn't been your experience of following Jesus. Life has been hard, or it just has not been what you expected. It hasn't lined up with the American dream. But in the time that we have this morning, let's take a look at this question. Uh, and I actually, I want to break it down into like three little questions, because maybe not all these phrases that are in there are familiar to each of us. The questions that I want to look at are, what is hardness of heart? What is abundant life? And if hard hearts prevent us from the good life, how do we move from a hard heart to experiencing abundant full life? So first to the question of what is hardness of heart. What do I, what do I mean by this? Well, let's look at the text. We're jumping right into the middle of Matthew's account of Jesus's life. And actually, literally, Matthew chapter 13 marks the turning point of the whole gospel, the turning point of Jesus's mission, where Jesus changes his main teaching focus. He was debating and challenging the Jewish religious leaders of his day, and he switches focus from there to explaining his mission to his disciples, uh, those people who have responded affirmatively to the call to follow him. And he also changes his focus uh, more towards Gentiles, to those people who are not part of the Jewish people. And at the center of this change of focus, Jesus keys in on one of the main reasons for this change. Simply put, it's because of his people's hardness of heart. Or put another way, their willful lack of understanding about who he is and what he is doing that affects this shift. Jesus first engages with his own people, the people of Israel. But those in charge, um, the religious leaders, uh, they have hard hearts. And so he turns his focus from them to those with ears to hear, as our passage repeats to us. And so in our first passage, uh, we have what is known as a parable. The pastor and author Eugene Peterson uh, described a parable in this way. The parable is a way of saying something that requires imaginative participation of the listener. A parable is not ordinarily used to tell us something new, but to get us to notice something that we have overlooked, although it has been right there before us for years. Or it is used to get us to take seriously something that we have dismissed as unimportant because we've never seen the point of it. So what Jesus is trying to do is uh, he's trying to engage his listeners' imaginations, and that includes us, and he's trying to drive home spiritual reality. And so this parable and the explanation of the parable surrounds a question that the disciples ask Jesus about why he speaks in parables in the first place, and Jesus' answer, which is basically a quotation of the prophet Isaiah. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive right into the middle of this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Um, this conversation about why he uses parables. And We're going to look into that Isaiah quotation that's kind of right in the middle and kind of work our way out from there. So hardness of heart. Look at verse 15 in the second reading. It reads, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. That first sentence, uh, for this people's heart has grown dull, another way this sentence can be translated is, this people's heart has become calloused. So think of a callous, right? It's it's hardened, deadened skin that doesn't feel anything. But there's more to this idea of callousness. Uh, there's an element of intentionality here. There is a willful misunderstanding of something going on. These people have closed their eyes. And this isn't a one-time thing. As I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus is here quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who wrote hundreds of years before Jesus' time. Jesus is picking up on a recurrent theme of God's people, willfully misunderstanding what God is saying in order to do your own thing. It is the repetition of this willful misunderstanding that is built up into this callousness. And so here, to really grasp what Jesus is getting at, uh, we need to kind of zoom out a bit and look at the wider context. Uh, not just of the passage that Jesus is quoting from in the book of Isaiah, but the whole Bible, um, and then our whole reading in, in the midst of that. So what we're gonna do here is we're gonna look at, at the wide context of the whole Bible, then narrow it down to the book of Isaiah, and then we'll look more closely at this section of Matthew um, with the parable specifically it's kind of like we have this large sandwich that that matthew's constructed and we're diving and starting right into the middle of it so this willful misunderstanding of what god is saying in order to do your own thing is something that goes all the way back to the very beginning if we go all the way back to the to genesis the first book of the bible Just after the account of creation, we find the first people that God has created, Adam and Eve, are faced with a choice. God had commanded them to not eat fruit from a particular tree. They could eat from any other plant, just not this one known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eating from it, we are told, will result in death. As the story goes, a serpent appears to Eve and questions God's character. Surely you won't die. That's not really what God meant. Uh, Actually, you'll become like God, knowing, determining what is good and evil. And so uh, I think many of us know what happens here. Uh, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and the result is immediate spiritual death, separation from God, which results in alienation from relationships with other people and all of creation. And eventually, physical death follows. Yet this impulse to willfully misunderstand God, to harden our hearts and to do our own thing, humanity will carry with us to this very day. Now God doesn't just leave us on our own after that. The whole story of the Bible is about God choosing a person, first Abraham and then a people group, Israel, through whom to bring about restoration and reconciliation. A restoration of relationship between God and humanity, between relationships within humanity, and with the rest of all creation. We are created to flourish. And we'll get back to this idea in a moment, because it's important for understanding Jesus' parable. But if we jump ahead in the story, uh, the whole story of Scripture, from Genesis uh, to the time of Isaiah... We find that God's people have had a poor track record of listening to and following God. Jesus is quoting a passage from Isaiah chapter six, and it is about hardness of heart. Now, Isaiah takes place in a time when God's people are in exile. What that means is that as part of God's plan of restoration His chosen people were were given a land, what we call the promised land. And from that place, they were to become a blessing to the whole world, showing the world what restored relationship between God and humanity in the land looks like. But they didn't do that. Instead, this pattern of willful misunderstanding built up over time, hardening God's people. They end up being exiled from their land. And so why exactly are they in exile? Well, we we see it um, more explicitly, Uh, spelled out in the passages in the book of Isaiah that come immediately before what Jesus quotes. Uh, If you have a Bible, um, you can turn over to Isaiah chapter 1. Right at the beginning of Isaiah, in chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, it says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Did you catch that right at the end? Uh, my people do not understand. Um, this is what, what Jesus is picking up on. It's stated even more explicitly in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 6, a little further on. It says, therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. It's that same idea of not understanding. I'm not even pursuing the knowledge to gain understanding. So when Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, uh, he's basically saying that God's people Israel, as res- represented by the religious leaders, even though they, they are physically back in Jerusalem, in, in, in Israel, the land, they're, they're, they're still actually in exile. Um, they still have hard hearts toward God. They resist God. But there's more going on here than just hard hearts toward God. There's also a hardness towards others. And this actually uh, brings us to look at our second question. Um, The second question is, uh, what what exactly is abundant life? Well, staying with Isaiah for a moment, um, one more bit of context for Jesus' Isaiah 6 reference is important. Uh, If you go back to Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah gives a vision for what a restored creation looks like. Isaiah shares a vision of the mountain of the Lord, which is a shorthand way of referring to the place where God's temple, the center of Israel's worship in the city of Jerusalem is located, where God is with his people. But in in Isaiah 2 there, it's not just Israel worshiping God. Um, All the nations of the world and people from everywhere come to God to learn from him and walk in his ways. And the result is peace. Isaiah 2.4 says, God shall judge between the nations, and they shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is an image uh, bursting, it's an image of life bursting out into the world. The conditions for life, the conditions for life to flourish are not war, but peace. You might even say it's a vision of abundant life, and we even had a, a little bit of, a, of that vision in the psalm that we recited together um, just a few moments ago. Uh, psalm 65 is this vision of, of peace and flourishing and abundance when God is with his people. And so we jump back to our passage in Matthew, and we see Jesus. Jesus brings up this idea of abundance in his response to the disciples' question about why he speaks in parables. In verse 11, Jesus says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will be, he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here, here what we're finding is that this hardness of heart basically prevents some people from receiving this knowledge, this secrets of the kingdom of heaven, And to the people who are open and receptive to following Jesus, uh, they're they're given more and more and more understanding. Um, We'll come back to the the secrets of the kingdom of heaven in just a little bit. But there's something of a link being forged here between Jesus giving us understanding and our flourishing in abundance. We have uh, one final image of abundance that's right at the end of our passage in Matthew. And this is where we finally come to this parable that set us off on this whole whole, um, journey through Scripture. It's in Jesus' explanation of the parable. Um, And and Jesus actually does a pretty good job of explaining what it means. Uh, This parable is actually a series of images of abundance. Um, And it also uh, highlights the things that hinder us from experiencing And sharing that abundant life. The images are from a farmer's field. A sower is sowing seeds. Some fall on a hard path, some on rocky soil, some among thorns, and some on good soil. Jesus's explanation of what he's referring to starts with centering on not understanding the word of the kingdom. And there's that idea again, the the word of the kingdom and the secrets of the kingdom. Jesus centers on not understanding and moves towards understanding that word which results in the person by the end hearing the word, bearing fruit that yields from 30 to 60 to 100 fold what is sown. Jesus moves from a calloused heart to an over-the-top image of abundance. This crop is flourishing beyond all dreams. A hundredfold the return on your crop is a good thing. Now keep in mind the history, all this history of Israel that Jesus brings up by referring to Isaiah in the middle of all of this. On one level, this flourishing crop echoes the hoped for a restoration of the world when things are made right with Jesus at the center, speaking peace to the nations. Yet on another level, it reflects the individual lives of the people who follow Jesus, lives that grow in maturity and bear fruit, whether that may be peace and healing with our own hearts or sharing our faith with others and leading them to share in the restored life that Jesus brings. But there are hindrances to this flourishing. The first hindrance is right off the bat, hardness of heart. The seed that's on the path. We don't. We don't even try to understand God's word. We want nothing to do with Jesus. We we cut it off right at the beginning. Don't want to hear about it. In our Anglican tradition, um, we have what is called the daily office. Um, it's uh, more commonly known uh, as a morning and evening prayer. Um, it's set times of prayer in the morning, in the evening, each day. And uh, there is a dedicated group uh, here at Emmanuel that meets online through Zoom uh, to pray morning and evening prayer uh, three days of the week together. Um, you're all more than welcome to join us on there. All the details are in the service sheet. But I bring this up uh, because among the prayers we pray each morning, we pray Psalm 95. Psalm 95 urges us to harden not our hearts as on the day of temptation in the wilderness. Uh, It's a reference to when God's people grumbled against God uh, at a couple of different places, Massa and Meribah, because they didn't believe uh, that God would care for them and provide for them. Uh, We have this reminder um, daily in in our our prayer tradition that that we don't want hard hearts. Um, We need to turn to God. We want to avoid hard hearts. Hindrance number two uh, is the seed sown on rocky ground that grows up quick and withers away because there are too many rocks. The roots can't grow deep. It's, it's interesting imagery here. Uh, rocks, uh, those, those are pretty hard. Um, there seems to be a progression here going on, um, away from the hard impenetrable path to some soft spots where seed can take root. And maybe maybe, uh, maybe you identify with this. Um, maybe you've come to an initial understanding of who Jesus is. Um, maybe it was a joyful turning to Jesus, uh, what we call a conversion, um, but you haven't grown in understanding um, what it means to follow Jesus. And so when it starts costing you, when following Jesus starts costing you friendships or promotions or your reputation or your money, um, you're out. What's needed here um, is a growth in understanding that comes from following Jesus. The third hindrance is thorns that choke the growing plants. And these we are told are the deceits of riches and the cares of the world. I don't know if there's much um, that I need to say about this. It's, It's awfully easy to be consumed with the cares of the world. It's awfully uh, easy to be deceived by the pursuit of riches. Um, Lately, like, like this is what drives living in, working in New York City. The deceitful pursuit of riches on one hand. Deceitful because this pursuit never ends and never fixes the brokenness and alienation we have with God and with each other and even all just within ourselves. And the cares of the world, life can be hard here in the city, especially uh, if you're not on the wealthy side of the city there There is a hardness of uh, this there is a hard-heartedness towards God that we've seen that bends us away from a life of true abundance. This hard-heartedness uh, can show up in our attitudes toward people uh, who are different than us. When we read these stories, uh, we usually uh, when you read the parables and 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 a lot of scripture, we usually uh, default to reading ourselves in the best light possible, right? And so here uh, we'll often default into reading ourselves into the place of the disciples, um, those guys who are open and receptive to Jesus. Uh, But what if, for a moment, uh, we consider that we may be the ones with hard hearts? What, What causes your heart to grow callous? Think about, uh, who's in your, your in-group or your out-group. Um, who are you calloused towards? Think about that politically. Think about it theologically. Think about it socially. And, and I direct, direct this question, um, to each one of us individually, but, but also to us as, as a whole church community. We're a group that seeks to follow Jesus. And you see Jesus he he went to his people, the people of Israel, to the community leaders, the religious leaders, and those were the people that rejected him because uh, their hearts were hard. And so much of that hardness that was re- directed to the fact, so much of that hardness was directed to the fact that Jesus was hanging out with outcasts with the tax collectors and prostitutes and the people with diseases that just separate them from community. And so if you think about our own community, are um, the collective heart of our community, are there ways that we're hard, that, that we have a hardness to particular people, um, to, to, to particular places? It's, it's something that can be really sneaky and you don't really realize it. This actually ties into uh, our purpose statement. Um, if you've been here for a little while, you, you've heard it. Um, Emmanuel, exists, Emmanuel Anglican exists exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. I, I recently had uh, one of uh, these moments of revelation, um, you know, where you think to yourself, uh, how on earth did I not know this before? Um, It happened uh, when uh, one of my daughters uh, was part of a school play. Um, It was this past year. It was called Annie. Um, Do most people here know know the the play Annie? Is that fair? Um, I I was not one of those people. Um, (laughs) It's it's fairly well-known. It's about a little, little orphan named Annie who lives in a terrible orphanage and... A stroke of luck ends up being picked to spend Christmas with this philanthropist uh, millionaire um daddy Warbucks is that his name um and he he ends up like adopting her It's like there's this this rags to riches story um now now, I had no idea that what this play was about um I'd heard there's there's a lot of cultural references that we have to this this movie uh, or this play that I, I've realized um things like little orphan annie and Stuff like that. But, but for the most part, this was just not part of my cultural or social background. Um, and so, um, so as a family, we, we rented, uh, one of the movie, a couple of movie versions of this play to watch. Um, and so, uh, we turned on the movie and the song Hard Knock Life comes on. And I turned to my wife and my first reaction was, um, wait, like, like this is, this is what Jay-Z sampled for his song Hard Knock Life. Like, like, like it's called the ghetto anthem right like like, like i knew he sampled the song but he sampled a musical about an orphan um does, does everyone know who jay-z is all right okay right like, like jay-z's one of the best-selling rappers of all time um he's like he's a billionaire now um but he grew up in the marcy projects in brooklyn um he's actually was a drug dealer there back in the day and now he's married to beyonce and they're like one of the biggest celebrity power couples in the world um, and actually just yesterday, um, I was about eight blocks away from the Marcy Project, so running a youth basketball tournament. Um, there's like a hundred kids playing, playing basketball. Um, and, and, you know, that world, um, there seems so different than being right where we are in the middle of the West Village. Um, but apparently, uh, the world of Annie and the world of Jay-Z aren't so far apart. Um, they bump into each other. Uh, uh, so you know, I got curious, and then I, I over-researched stuff. So I, I looked into the the history of hard knock life, and it turned out that um, Jay Z, one day when he was home as a kid, he was watching TV, and the movie Annie came on, um, and he watched it, and uh, he was struck by how much he, a kid growing up in the projects navigating the gang life identified with the story of uh, this little white orphan girl in this movie Um, it was one of those moments of two worlds colliding and so he wrote a song um hard knock life to describe uh his experience of the hard knock life but also how he really related to little annie now now, there's something really compelling about like like these these stories where people who are you know in a really hard place make it right whether it's the this kind of romantic story of a winsome orphan who gets adopted by a kind-hearted millionaire and or whether it's a drug-dealing high school dropout from the projects in brooklyn who becomes a billionaire celebrity rapper um but my, my, my point is that it is easy for us to get so focused on our own experiences, um, our own culture, our our own vocation, uh, or our own social circles, that, that we're actually hardened to what God is doing through Jesus in reaching out to the world that's right around us. There's this expansive invitation to follow Jesus that is offered to everyone. And we miss the fact that there is much we have in common with people we don't normally associate with. Even in my, my example of the musical Annie, uh, like we can kind of go with that movie and we can feel good about it. And if we're honest, it's kind of a really, really sanitized version of an abusive orphanage. Um, but, but we can kind of use that as a foil to insulate ourselves against the hard knock lives of the people who live right across the street from us or maybe even share the same building as us. But the end goal of all of this, um, what we're looking towards is flourishing, it's abundance. Um, when, when Jesus returns and makes all things new, um, that's what we get to experience. And our community, I hope, here at Emmanuel, I hope that we're seeking to be a reflection of that, um, a witness to it, uh, a foretaste of what it is like when God dwells with his people in a restored creation. We don't wanna be people with hard hearts uh, or a community that is hard-hearted. So finally, um, how do we get to this place of understanding? How do we move from hard hearts to experiencing uh, this abundant full life or at least tasting it, um, the, tasting a bit of the fullness that is to come? Well, it's not just trying to be more like Jesus. Uh, It's not trying really hard to be good soil. That's often our impulse, right? Just try harder to be good. Volunteer for a good cause. Give a little extra money away. No, simply put, what we do um, is we look to Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We follow Jesus. In our passage, there's a whole lot of confusion and misunderstanding going on. The religious leaders have hard hearts, so the disciples don't quite get what Jesus is saying initially. But they go to Jesus, and they ask him to explain. And in verse 18, we see that hearing, having ears to hear, it's enabled by Jesus. That's Jesus's gift to us. After Jesus hits everyone with the quotation from Isaiah, he simply says, hear then the parable of the sower. And then he explains it. Understanding comes from listening to and seeing Jesus. I'd mentioned the secrets of the kingdom of heaven a few times this morning. Simply put, um, these, these secrets are all wrapped up in who Jesus is. He's God. He's God come to us, not just as a great teacher, but as the one who rep- repairs the break in relationship between God and humanity. And the understanding that is lacking throughout this passage is not merely rational comprehension or based on our own cognitive ability. It's relational. It's a gift. It comes from seeing, seeing Jesus, from hearing Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so if you're here this morning uh, seeking understanding, um, that's the Holy Spirit prompting you. And the Holy Spirit draws our gaze to Jesus. So we've started this morning at Gathering Together um, looking to Jesus, um, seeking to follow Jesus. Um, And my encouragement as as I, I wind down here is let's keep doing that. Let's keep looking to Jesus. Let's follow Jesus together. That's the path to abundant life. That's the path to reaching out to the world around us. Amen. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity
1: drives everything we do at Emanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emanuelanglicannyc.com give.